We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Welcome to another episode of the College to Kenton podcast, the perfect show for any and every college football and NFL fan. I'm your host, Travis May. If you're joining us for the first time, the College to Kenton podcast is a show where we talk about everything from college football recruiting to NFL rookies, all the way to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We always talk some fantasy football because we're nerds like that, but we also make sure to dive into some real college football and NFL analysis too. And if you joined us last week, special guest Ray Garvin and I drafted our favorite rookie fades that we aren't exactly buying into during this rookie hype season that is NFL training camps and I guess the lack of a preseason now. But this week, my special guest and I will be diving into some of the most meaningful metrics that can lead to a successful NFL career. You may have heard me mention things like the adjusted production index or dominator rating, breakout age, yards per team pass attempt, and maybe a few other things that you're like, what is that? And I, I may have tried to kind of convey it in a, in a clear way, but just wanted to kind of break things down because there are several meaningful metrics that uh, can help predict NFL future success. And really just want to, whether you play fantasy football, whether you're just a casual football fan or just obsessed with your favorite team, 
hopefully some of these numbers will give you a better idea of whether your favorite teams or your fantasy football teams, uh, rookies and college football prospects and things like that are actually on a track to hit or they're not. Mostly we'll be talking about some wide receiver metrics, but we'll talk about some running backs and, and things like that here. Uh, as well. But uh, we'll tackle all those things, what they mean, and uh, what uh, an abridged college football season could mean for all those predictive metrics when it comes to NFL prospect evaluation. And to help me do that uh, and talk all these meaningful metrics, I'm joined by none other than the great Peter Howard. You can find him on Twitter at PA Howdy. He's a senior writer with Dynasty League Football and one of my favorite people to talk nerdy numbers with and uh, all things football analytics. Peter, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Hey, Travis. uh, Thanks for the intro, man. Could you stop building me up? People are going to expect something meaningful or great. Um, And neither of those are probably going to be true. But yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, man. I love to talk about some fantasy football, football in general, and uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, I didn't mention that you had this awesome accent. So the people were probably already really impressed. Like, wow, he's really intelligent just by the way you talk right right off the bat. So I guess in a way you're setting yourself this up. This is just what people in Kentucky sound like. Uh, oh, yeah. Is that, is that right? This is That's the Kentucky accent yeah, I'm hearing? Genuine Kentucky accent coming at you. Yeah, yeah see, I'm from Indiana. I, the, the people from Kentucky I know do not talk like you. Just... Just saying, but <laughs> but uh, we'll dive into some meaningful metrics uh, here soon. But th- thanks for joining me on the show, Peter. I really just enjoy uh, all the work that you put into compiling all the meaningful metrics with wide receivers and running backs and what it really means for a prospect to look like they're going to succeed. But before we dive into those, those things that are so much fun to talk about and nerd out about, uh, let's just talk about this week's FFPC status attack since the year 2000 of all wide receivers from power five conferences players that posted a 90th percentile adjusted production index which is a metric that i created and we'll get to here shortly it posted a 90 percentile 90th percentile adjusted production index or better they were drafted inside day one or day two of the nfl draft 85 percent of the time and so what does that mean we'll dive into that once once we outline some of the various pieces to that metric but uh peter when you dig into the numbers especially with wide receivers and and prospects coming into the nfl what particular production metrics or measures do you use first or, or most to help predict uh, what a future NFL prospect <coughs> and successful one could look like? Yeah, here's the part where I spend 10 minutes explaining the question before we actually get to any answer. I try not to do that, but there are a few <laughs> things you have to say. Like, It depends what position you're looking at. Um, I definitely come to this from an amateur. I just enjoy the research, so I'm willing to do the legwork, but I'm not pretending to have some genius insight into any of them like some people on a community honestly have. So I'm just trying to understand what looks good, what looks bad, and what is actually helpful and what's just, you know, could go either way. Sometimes a player can have a really good number or a metric or an athletic test in something, in fact, all athletic tests, and I really don't know how to weight that against them getting a thousand yards or 20% of their team's targets. I mean, which is better and how much is each valuable? And so that's the perspective I come at it from. It's just where do these things rank in terms of how well they help us identify good groups of players? And well, frankly, even that's like two things. Like you can either try and limit the group of players. So you've got like a smaller barrel with more fish in it in one way, which is a lot of what I think we do with breakout age, which I was talking about with Anthony Amico recently. Or you can see it from the perspective of honestly trying to predict 
what a player is going to do. And that would be modeling or creating some sort of score like your own that tries to predict who's going to be better in the NFL, one, two, three, and four. And I try and not fall into either camp. I just try and understand both. Yeah. But after all that guff, what I would say is that at wide receiver especially, that seems to be our most useful or we have the most useful numbers for projecting why any player into the NFL at wide receiver. I'm not a great quarterback evaluator. That's something I've learned. Um, and honestly, I have yet to find much in quarterback statistics, which honestly tell me a lot about Winston or Mariota, which one's going to crap out first kind of a thing. <laughs> um, but efficiency and age does seem to be a thing. Running back just level of production and it also seems to matter what they do in their final season and what they do in their best season a little bit more at wide receiver it's a little more intricate where it's about how productive they are in relation to their team so if you have a crappy team it doesn't matter it's how much of that team's offense were you and how old you were when you were doing it that's in age-adjusted production or breakout age or some reference to they're literally the physical development is how John Moore puts it. Like you're just a skinny, very athletic kid when you first join college. And if you're beating out three-year veteran players for the majority of their offense, <laughs> that probably says yeah. more to your innate talent than any physical capacity that you have. Absolutely. And that highlights something for us. And, and so I really like the way John Moore lays that story behind the numbers out. All I know is that the numbers do seem to fulfill that story, if you know what I mean. If you're very productive at an earlier age, you're much more likely to break out. And if you pair that with draft capital, the two things that we really have that provide any signal, then basically that's your best shot at finding the best group or the best player to bet on in any given rep. Awesome. Tight so end, really- uh, I, I don't know. Productive's good, but maybe not because lots of them come in and play one season and then they're like Jimmy Graham and some <laughs> players play three, four years of domination. Uh, I mean, it's really weird. There does seem to be more signal around their athleticism, but honestly, you should fade athleticism as often as possible um, and as early as possible. Um, <laughs> and the main thing to remember, because I like to hold on to my, I spent so long on this, I hold on to my player biases a lot. NFL production, any NFL stat is basically twice as predictive as the best college stat we have. And so while it's hard for me, you do have to let go of college stats a little quicker than we might be willing to. Like I have to kind of admit Terry McCollum was pretty impressive last year, for example. Okay, well, sure, and and I think that makes sense because once players have proven at the NFL level that they can produce, that's the best indicator that they're going to do it again. (laughs) So that totally makes sense. And it's not even impressing, not not to throw you off your game there, but like Nikhil Harry, real big fan. He had everything I'd ever want in a prospect, but just not getting to 10% target share in the NFL is a lot more significant than everything he did in college. I still have hopes for him, but I have to pay attention because the nfl like you said nfl stats are just worth more so it's it can be positive and negative is my point (laughs) absolutely and practically speaking when you explain breakout and breakout age in the way that you just did that's why we value it so much like i just talked about brian edwards a couple times here recently on on podcasts i mean his breakout age and what he was doing when he was still 17 uh, in his fr- true freshman right. uh, season was just incredible. He, was, he wasn't even 18 years old, still dunking and just absolutely annihilating people. Uh, and so that means more than, you know, a 23-year-old senior, you know, ripping up some juniors and, and kids that are years, you know, possibly three years younger than them, you know, in their fifth season. And so I think when you mix breakout age, when you mix uh, draft capital together, th- that is super sticky. But when we look at actual production and, and you spoke to some of the what they're doing within their offense and to, in the scale within the scale of their offense and maintaining efficiency 
in um, in in their production. There are a few metrics that I think, even when I talk to people who don't play fantasy football, they've heard uh, in an, an article here or there. And I mean, we talk about we throw around dominator rating all the time. Uh, and for right. me, I, I've really found value more so in yards per team pass attempt, and found found that that's actually stickier than dominator rating. So could you Definitely. break down those two metrics because they're they're very common, I think, within fantasy football and even in. I don't know, like when we talk about any analytics or anything meaningful in just casual football conversation and prospects, they're going to be terms that I think more and more people are are familiar with here soon. So could you break those two down just for the listeners and why those mean what they do and also how you weight those within your process? Sure. From the beginning, where I where I live, amateur status, what you need to know. What, the first thing to know is I'm not dumping on any metric. I mean, they take a lot of time to make the very popular, I mean, player profiler basically invented college dominator. And even though it's, I'm not a fan in terms of evaluation, it's not that it doesn't have use. So I basically don't use dominator is what I'm saying, but it's not like, aha, this is a joke. I mean, it's perfectly fine stat. But the other thing is to know, like you said, we, we struggle as an industry to accept definitions. So depending on who you're talking to, they might have a very different definition of college dominator. But when I think of it, I always think of the player profile at a college dominator. That seems to be the mainstream one, which is you take their yards and touchdown percentage in their best year and their final year and basically average it. And you call that the domination of their offense for their entire career. It's a very useful descriptive stat because it gives you this overview of their career. But if you want to get all nerdy about it and talk about R-squared values or putting it in a model or this guy's got a 50% dominator and this guy's got a 30% dominator, it all kind of falls down. Mainly because a lot of production stats, in fact, most stats at this level because we don't have enough college data, they're mostly threshold stats. And that yeah. what, and what that means is if you're over the threshold, you're over the threshold. It doesn't matter that Corey Davis was phenomenally over the threshold and someone like DJ Moore was, you know, decently. Well, actually, he was phenomenally over the threshold as well. And um, but uh, Julio Jones's dominator, I think, is really good, but it's not near Corey Davis's domination, if I remember right. So it's not a, a quantum thing. It's, that's not the right word, but it's not you scale up the further they are over the threshold. That's the right. first thing to so know about metrics. Like a player that's like a it's player good, that's got forty five percent, you're not going <laughs> to value immensely over a player that's at thirty five percent. You know, it's not like a ranking right. system there. And, and, I, and I, I see people misuse it all the time in that way. They're like, well, hey, you know, so-and-so had a 48% dominator. That's way more impressive and meaningful than somebody at 36 or 34. And, and not, that's not necessarily true. Like at Rotoviz, we like to see players with a breakout season, uh, you know, 30% uh, dominator and basically accounting for 30% of the yards and touchdowns uh, within the scale of their offense. You know, at some exactly. point in their career and, and ideally earlier in their career, 20 years old or perhaps even younger in many cases, that that's what we prefer. And so I, but I see it all the time. People just, you know, using it as a ranking system. But really, it's, it's to me, it's a way to kind of weed out the players that miss in a big way or, or don't don't meet what what should be simple to do for a wide receiver that should succeed in the NFL. Right. It's not terrible i mean you've got to decide by something and you don't want to have your own your own spreadsheet and get all complicated about it i get that just understand that there's just one at least one more question 
Are they productive? College Dominator can tell you that. I would say be careful. One of the reasons it fails as a predictive stat is you've got players with great College Dominators who played one season. So basically a double counting that one good season, which is what happens to someone like Kelvin Benjamin, for example. Right. So the only other question is a real simple one. It's just when were they playing when they were dominant? If they were doing it, the best season is age 20 and the, the final season is age 20 and their best season is age 19. That's great. Perfect. And if they're doing it at like 23, 22 years old, that's worse than doing it young. And you don't have to get all complicated about it. Just through the simple story John Moore and I recited here say, it's like just doing it younger just indicates that might be something more to do with what they're capable of than how physically or or the how much their experience was paying off in the offense. And there's also something that I like to think about. Teams lean on their veterans, not just because they know more about the offense or anything like that, but because they've been there the longest. They know the coaches more. You've got all these personal things going into it. And also they know they're about to graduate or leave and they go into the NFL and they want them to do well. They're on their team. So they're like, yeah, let's, let's try and get him out of here on a good roll, right? Now, I'm not sure. saying that happens to every player exactly that way. Maybe their team hates them. But it makes sense to me <laughs> that there is some kind of senior bias, right? Let's let's focus on our guys, man. They've been working hard for us for three years. They're now the wide receiver one, so on and so forth. So, I mean, that's all story-driven, but it does seem to be borne out. So to cut all that down, the first question is, are they productive? Which College Dominator can give you, apart from those instances where, like say, we're double-canning seasons or whatever. But the next question is, when did they do it? And again, just breakout age, just looking at the two numbers together, that would create a better ranking for you because the breakout age actually does have some signal in that it is more predictive into the NFL. You're more likely to be productive in the NFL, no matter what round you're drafted in, if you judge it with a, by the same round, if you have a younger breakout age. So if you have, broke out at age 18, a higher percentage of those players produce a top 24 season, for example, than a player that broke out at 20 or 21 or 22 and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily a, a ranking system even then. It's just no, no, you're, no, you're further whittling it down to say, wow, okay, so not only did he hit all the thresholds we like to see in terms of percentage overall with their dominator rating, they did it when they were 18. And not only that, they also had solid yards per team pass attempt numbers, which we can get to in a moment. And so you, you just add these reinforcing layers that, that give you more and more evidence that says, okay, there's something more to this player. That, that, that They're doing things that that 99.5% of players in college might not do. Uh, and so when you get that all together, piece it all together, and then they get draft capital, that's the, that's the perfect combo. Just be a normal person about it. It's not like yeah. Um, if nerds say you should forget everything you've seen and you know about this player because of this one number, well then they're being ridiculous. It's like yes. I've seen this guy play. I know he can do this. I think he's good. You don't forget everything else you know because of a new piece of information. You just adjust it. The way I like to describe it is it's just risk tolerance. Like yes, he's a great player. I've seen him play. He's got this skill set. I love his routes. Whatever it is you love about him, but players who have that and this breakout age or whatever hit less than this other player who's also seems to be pretty good with a younger breakout age it's like sorry i don't want to get too far yeah. in into the introduction but it's like just oh, to pull a name out of a hat this year jerry judy i have some questions but he's drafted in the first round his production's really decent and i can see the conflict in the offense that we could get into if you want to but who are we judging him against i'm not saying jerry judy you should draft michael pittman over jerry judy i'm just saying compared to justin jefferson if you have a choice between the two, Eileen Jefferson. 
if you still like Judy more, that's fine. That's your risk tolerance because of how much you like the player. But at least you know that when you make the decision. Like he has something on his profile that makes Justin Jefferson look a little bit better. But I love Judy. That's fine. Then you right. don't have to be so, you know, what went wrong if it does go the other way? You knew the bet you were making. And therefore, I think we can adjust our draft pick. We trade down, whatever. It's just there's a little bit of more risk on this player and that player. Not like never draft him. Like Henry Ruggs. Like I'm not saying never draft him. I'm just saying there's a few more questions there. So maybe consider Judy, Mitt, Lamb, Jefferson over him. If right. you still love the player, what the hell, man? Take the player, but at least you know. <laughs> so it's kind of it gives you a way to know the risk you're taking, and then just go get the player you like. That's fine. Absolutely, and and really for reference for those that aren't even already familiar with Rugs and his profile, it's a pretty weak production profile. I talked about that on the last episode. It's like it's like a thirtieth percentile, and when you talk about like actually drafted NFL players, like not the undrafted right. free agents, but like actual drafted NFL players, it's like a thirtieth percentile profile. He's Right on the cusp of being in the never hit category, but not quite there. And then Jer- Jerry Judy, he actually had decent yards per team pass attempt numbers, which is, exa- is exactly what it sounds like. And I'll, I'll let you get into that metric here shortly. But he kind of missed in in his overall dominator rating and in, in the percentage of his team's yards and touchdowns overall uh, that we like to see in terms of uh, peak numbers uh, or even his best uh, or even you know his career numbers really just weren't ideal uh, overall. But with yards per team pass attempt, you mentioned that being a stickier metric. You mentioned that meaning something a little bit more. I found I found that there are other people who have found that, and so I'm building that into into my process every single year as I assess wide receivers. So to break that down and and how you build that into your process and in, in assessing a player. It's a great question. Um, I don't know entirely how to answer it. Like I can talk about how different stats, what stats are in my models. I can talk about what I value the most, but I really like to leave it up to put all the decent numbers in line in a player and then see how I feel about it. I mean, you've got to run with your gut a little bit. Otherwise it's not fun. Yeah, like I don't want a exactly. computer to tell me what to do. And that's why I try not to get too caught up in the exact numbers. I know them. I can show you them. They're in my database, whatever, like memorizing them or putting them in perspective is a lot more helpful. So the awesome. for team pass attempt, let's put it simply. I can get market share and believe I think one of the worst decisions we made for those of us that like to talk about this game through numbers, it was calling it market share to make it sound fancy because it, it, <laughs> it distances us from it. It's just percentage, okay? So market share of yards is a percentage of yards. It's not anything more than that. But and market share numbers, if I adjust by age and put it in a single number that I call a production score, it's as or more productive than yards per team pass attempt significantly. Well, by a couple of percent. But yards per team pass attempts, best, worst, less, no matter what year you want to look at, is about as productive as whatever stats we work on with market share uh, after we've worked on them. So you don't have to right. do anything to them, and they're about as useful as ranking or projecting players into the NFL. Um, and that's kind of mind-blowing considering how long and how hard we work to try and get market share useful. This stat just kind of rolls off the page already being useful, and it's like, what, what, what do you want to do with me? I'm here. I'm ready to play. <laughs> already better than your best player and we really haven't <laughs> done too much with it yeah we haven't turned in into its own adjusted metric i started to play with it i started to adjust it by age because age is still relevant and one thing i've recently been looking at and this is probably the one way that i use it most that isn't like you can hear everyone talk about it i guess is um i i always hear one of the most interesting stats i hear about running back is um yards per carry above team average because yards per carry is always trash but it's interesting to compare a player in their situation 
okay, his yards per carry was trash, but he was getting three yards per carry more than the nearest player on his team. That tells you something about how much he's standing out over his teammates. Yes. And that always interested me. And so I basically did the same for yards per team carry for wide receivers. I looked at the average for the pass catchers in the top three of that team of that year, and then how far above the, his teammates that particular player was. And interestingly enough, again, that jumps up to about as predictive as an adjusted market share stat or percentage stat. If I, if I want to put numbers on it, players who get at least one top 24 season, they average about 1.65 yards above their team average. So not 1.65, but above what their other teammates are doing. So they are standing out significantly on how much they're contributing to the receiving game, in other words. And, and that rolls off the page at about you know a 14 15% r squared to points per game over the first 3 years and i probably lost you right on that last little bit and you can see why putting exact numbers on it just make your eye roll and go i'm not going to memorize that dude just know it's about as it's useful it's, it's as useful as efficiency stat as i've ever come across and efficiency is really hard to use in any way and if nothing else it's it's descriptive right because yards per team pass attempt you divide by another number. It's not complicated. The best stats, I think, are the simplest ones. And it's just telling you how many receiving yards he added on a per team pass attempt basis. So again, it's a really easy number to understand. He was this many yards more helpful to his team than anyone else. Yeah. And and I, I love simplicity, man. I love something that you don't have to spend two weeks explaining. It's just yards per team pass attempt. Okay, got yeah. it. Exactly. Right. And that's super easy <laughs> that's exactly to calculate. It. <laughs> I mean, it's exactly as it sounds. It's how many receiving yards did they have per team past attempt? Like, it's super easy. Like, you can, you you can calculate it yourself. You don't have to adjust it by age. You no. don't have to pay for have... a paywall. You <laughs> just look at, at the team past attempts and the receiving yards, and you got it. Yeah. And then I'll, if you compare it against their teammates, like if you compare it against their teammates, you can get a better picture of like how much more right. impressive were they than their team. And, and at the same time, if you already know that their team is full of other assumed NFL projected Stop. stars, then you can understand that they're probably not going to exceed the, just practically speaking, they're not going to completely blow their also NFL caliber teammates out of the water. But it helps you identify players like, like for next year's draft, like a player that with this metric, just practically, already stands out in a ridiculous way. Jeterius Tutu Atwell. He he weighs like he, he probably weighs 160 something pounds still. He needs to gain some weight, but he's one of the fastest. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he, he he's one of the fastest players in college football. Had uh, I think it was 4.24 yards per team pass attempt. Average for drafted players is like two and a half. You don't have to memorize that. Just realize that it it was a ridiculous number. And uh, you mentioned. You know, players averaging like 1.65 yards above their teammates in terms of yards right, per team right. pass attempt. Uh, he's probably got at least two or more yards more than any other teammate on his team. Like he just was, he was it. And, and I think what this metric can speak to is efficiency amid volume. And also, I've seen that it can really speak to the yak ability of a player also, which in terms of predicting you know, future NFL success and, and year over year uh, sticky stats. Yak can be one of those sticky stats, stickier stats anyway. You know, I, I try to find players that stick out in those crazy ways in one easily uh, solvable metric. I mean, other players that stand out yeah. for next year, like already Tylen Wallace, Rashad Bateman, Jamar Chase, guys that are already, we're already excited about in the NFL draft for next year. Like you, you could have known at the end of 2019, 
who was probably going to be going day two based on just one simple metric. That's an interesting idea that I haven't tested myself in terms of knowing before their final season. And I know that's something we're coming to. So I'll be interested in your thoughts on it to stave off of that. Again, yeah, what I would say is don't let the nerds confuse you because they confuse me all the time. Yeah. Just keep it simple track, right? The place I start is I want to know what good players in the NFL did and then compare that to the players I'm looking at for this rookie class. Because the, the underlying premise here is good players do something similar. Whatever it is, they do something together or at the same time or in the same way that can help us say that the ne- who in the next class is good. That's the underlying premise. And if that's flawed, then all metrics are flawed. So fine. Um, <laughs> and this helps out a lot. Because when you think about it, this is why I always go on about, um, well, not always go on, but I really reject the notion of height and weight and athleticism stats. Because I appreciate that a guy that can run faster or turn quicker, I get logically how that makes sense. But what I would say is look at your favorite players and most productive fantasy players. How much does Jarvis Landry look like Calvin Johnson? Or Odell Beckham and Antonio (laughs) Brown or Julio Jones and DeAndre Hopkins. Like these guys almost have nothing in common. And there's so few of them that athletic metrics, despite being a good thing when they have them, obviously, like you can see why it can be confusing and why you get swept up in the Doriel Green Beckhams a little too often. And that's where the age thing really comes in at wide receiver. You know, the one thing they pretty much all, but maybe two players I can make a decent argument for, they all have in common is they were a large part of their college offense at an earlier age. Like they all broke out before the age of 20 and they all have age 18 and 19 breakout seasons. Now, one of the exceptions is Michael Thomas, and what a hell of an exception to have. (laughs) But okay, sometimes it doesn't work. But just keep it simple. What did all these players do that does look similar? Okay, where are the players that also did that? Exactly. And And the other thing I mentioned is I'm constantly reminding myself of what I think of. I don't know a good term for it the fallacy of the average because I'm English and stupid, but like the average is the average because some players scored crap and some players scored great. And unless you know the distribution or what would a nerd would call the distribution, you don't know how much that average is telling you. So like the average I just threw out the 1.65 yards above teammate yards per team pass attempt, which I have to come up with a better name for, obviously. Um, <laughs> 1.65 means if you're over it, that's a good sign. If you're under it though, the fact it's an average tells you that a whole bunch, a, a good bunch of players were really good, but were under that number. So it's worrying. It's risk tolerance issue again, but it's by no, none, of, none of this is a death nail. Sure. And um, some of it can be a death nail. Yeah. <laughs> but that's... if you, if lots of it comes together, lots of nails together, maybe make a death nail. But like, if you still really like the player and he's just got this one or two bad feet, I mean, adjust your draft. Yeah. And but there's really it's still not that like. many like perfect prospects, you know, that check every single box. But uh, I mean, it's just all about uh, finding and hitting as many of these thresholds that we like to see in in terms of metrics. And and really, uh, I feel like this has already been a, a ton of helpful information. Uh, but feel free to reach out to, to me or or Peter. I'm I'm sure we'd be glad to delve into this further. Uh, but before we like kind of before we kind of go and, and shift directions and, and dive more into uh, what uh, next year's college football season, well this year's college football season being abridged or short and, and kind of messed up, what that could mean with our metrics and and how we weight that in, into our process. Uh, just a word from our sponsor, Bet Online. 
Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24 7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven time NBA champ Robert Horry. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sporting news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price you'd never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and only goes up one cent every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign-up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code RotoViz or DealDash.fm slash RotoViz. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash RotoViz. We talked about some thresholds. We talked about some metrics. We talked about not listening to the nerds, but also kind of listening to the nerds uh, with with the numbers. Uh, I just wanted to kind of talk about my adjusted production index and why I use peak production uh, to, to kind of look at things and predicting future NFL success. So we talked about dominator rating and, and really just being a percentage of uh, a player's teams receiving yards and touchdowns kind of combined. And then we talked about yards per team pass attempt. I also throw touchdowns per team pass attempt into the mix, even though uh, objectively speaking, it is less sticky than dominator and yards per team pass attempt by itself. Uh, because really, just I wanted a metric that could practically speak to the nature of, of who a player was. Can they take on the volume within their offense that's their dominator. Can they uh, exhibit, you know, the ability to create yak and efficiency within that volume and do so at a more impressive rate than their teammates in many cases? That's yards per team pass attempt. And then touchdowns per team pass attempt was the ability to score at a high clip amid that volume. Like, I don't necessarily want, like, a, there's a player in college right now, Trey Walker, who, who had, like, an 1,100-yard season this year, but I only had two touchdowns. Like, you know, there there's, I want to look at a player, just practically speaking, from a couple different angles uh, and try to say, this player can take on the volume, he can be efficient, and he can score when they're getting close. Just practically those are all good things for fantasy points. So I, I, I kind of built it out and I wanted to look at peak production because of some trends that are, are kind of taking place in, in college football right now with uh, transfers having greater success. And we're going to see a, a greater number of transfers in the upcoming seasons thanks to the, the one-time transfer rule in college football that's most likely going to get in, put into place next year. And in recent years, we've already seen the transfer portal making that process easier. We've been, we've been seeing more immediate eligibility waivers come into play for players and they're they're actually sticking on teams that they transfer to and producing at a higher level than they did the first two seasons so they're breaking out later in many cases and so I want to take into account the peak production and new in the new situation because it's to me it's just as impressive when a player shows up on a, on a new team and wins some decent market share in their age 20 season when they haven't done that before it's kind of hard hard to really gauge 
what happened or what caused that. But if they're in a new situation, I can see what they've done when they have been given opportunity. So I, I use peak production and I understand that age is still important, but every once in a while you'll find a player like Brandon Ayuk this year uh, who went uh, to junior college first and then had to share the the targets with Nikhil Harry and then he really had to wait till his final season to break out or Michael Pittman for USC who was just injured and injured and injured in his freshman season there there were really three other players uh, that were at the time we thought they were going to be NFL prospects that limited his ability to break out so I, I want to look at peak production and I don't want to rule out a player because they didn't follow the, the typical trajectory of what we like to see. And I understand that that doesn't always necessarily result in the best statistical R-squared value, <laughs> or whatever you want to say, in proving that it's the stickiest. I wanted a practical index that when you combine it with draft capital and I you combine it with age, it tells a more complete story. Um, so that's that's I'll reference that from time to time because I found that to be predictive in terms of predicting draft capital actually even more so than production in the NFL uh, and if you can predict draft capital that in and of itself is the stickiest metric we really have in terms of what the NFL thinks of players and so that can be by itself. predictive by but, itself draft capital is by far the most predictive absolutely yeah. so if you can predict that you can, by get college predict- you can get college production to be as predictive you just have to do a little work travis right exactly and can i just add to your audience this is straight michael Pittman propaganda right now travis is selling <laughs> you a line yeah don't buy it <laughs> like okay it's not typical he doesn't do what all good college producers do when they go on to be productive <laughs> nfl players but not typical isn't not typical is bad. Think of it this way. The NFL doesn't like not typical. It's not an experimental league. They're not like, should I gamble my th- my trillions of dollars on this guy because he looks different? Like, Lynn Bowden, I love him. But, like, just accept that the NFL doesn't like unusual. I hope he's got a skill set. So, you know, don't not draft him um, if he comes to the right <laughs> cost. But don't be like Michael Pitton over Justin Jefferson. Again, we go back to the... No, compared no. to what? And I but would, yeah, again, I wouldn't just take him over Jeff- him, Justin Mark, Jefferson because you're going to get show after show to sell this propaganda. <laughs> so I have to <laughs> enforce it. He's selling you a propaganda line of Michael Pittman. I don't not like the kid, but not typically is bad. <laughs> just notice the story yes. he's telling. Yes, and, and I I just had to Appreciate mention you Michael. Let there- me talk over you on your own podcast to do that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's okay. There's there's a little backstory with with me and and Peter and Michael Pittman just kind of going back and forth, but uh, you know I wouldn't take Michael Are Pittman you- over uh, Justin Jefferson either. Um, but I mean, there's all sorts of ways to kind of play around with the numbers, whether you're looking at peak right. versus career and things like that. But with this pandemic being what it is, and the college football season being at risk in a big way, at the very least being interrupted and uh, kind of uh, incomplete. So how are you going to, when you look at the numbers for this season and you look at the players that are coming in as true freshmen this year or, you know, players that haven't quite broken out and hit the 30% on Dominator, they haven't hit some <laughs> thresholds, like how, say they declare anyway, how are you going to account for that uh, in, in your process for future classes? Right, right. Talk down, Michael Pittman got it. Now, um, <laughs> it's interesting. You and JJ Zacharyson and, and, and everyone else who's smart comes up with the same peak production matters the most or last production because the last year is of, often most commonly their best year again senior difference everything else uh, the peak of their powers stuff like that unless they get injured or a weird season like 
for Jalen Rager, for example. But whenever I test it, and I R squared numbers, again, I try not to get, like, how much do we really know? But I do need some level of measuring. If we're going to say peak production is better, I want I want to see it somewhere. So what I did, um, I reorganized my database. You can still see it by age, um, because that's what I really like to see. I like to make graphs based on age and stuff like that. And that's where I model from. But um, I get that we want to compare best to best, first to first. And that's a more even way of comparing players. I get that because we're all in different situations. So I reorganized my database so you can see their first, best, and last, and their average season numbers. But then also I tested which was more predictive to points per game, the average points per game for the first three years. And that's a long way of saying I keep consistently finding that the average outscores best. So if you take the average of what they did on any particular stat, that's better, more predictive, more useful, more signal, whatever you want to call it, than their best year. Now, for market share of yards, interestingly, it's almost exactly the same, best year and average year. And it's really interesting you mentioned touchdowns because, again, average wins on touchdowns as well. But one thing I was going to mention with Dominator, remember that Dominator combines touchdowns and yards. So you'd expect touchdowns, like in the NFL, they're, they're variants, you know, DJ Moore scores like four touchdowns last year. And we say that's not because of him. That's because touchdowns are just finicky. It's in this condensed area of the field. Regression nerdy language comes after that. But, you know, it's going to bounce back closer to average, Julio Jones style. Um, But when you combine it with yards, Dominator is actually more predictive than just market share of yards or just market share of touchdowns. It's only age-adjusted production, I was saying, was uh, particularly a lot better than it. Right. Um, So what... Like one of my age adjusted stats is dominator of average of the average of the ages they were playing. And that's more predictive than all of these things. And again, the average wins. Now, it's not that best is trash. I get that peak production matters. And like you say, you don't just use one number. You want to see what they did, not just see the end result of some model you don't understand. And to be fair, in my database, I have all the results listed. I have all my stats listed. And I even have like the exact calculations in my models and my age adjusted stuff. And it's free. So go on it if you're a statistician and you're like this guy doesn't know what he's talking about i don't i'm an amateur i'm just trying to keep up with the smart guys and it's all (laughs) there for you to educate me and let me do better or you know use it yourself however you want or beat it go beat it so that i can use your numbers that'd be great um (laughs) but Yeah. yeah what i find when i look is that the average is better than best so why would i be particularly interested in best year if I'm just looking at one, I, I'm oh, yeah. more interested in what they did over their entirety than no, just in the and, best. Season. And that's where, yeah, no, I, I'm not saying that that peak is, is better than average. I'm just saying that peak also allows for for you to not gloss over the, the players in a situation where they were there were a transfer or there was some added context. I'm not saying that we just ignore the fact that average matters or is or is stickier i'm just saying that that all these metrics have have a certain weight and if you understand the weight that they do have um and you want to apply them practically to any number of players there's value in doing so but i mean with with Um, the average being potentially skewed this year like how how are you going to adjust with your process here moving forward, if, if there are some kind of wonky looking profiles next year or the year after. And yeah, that's the other interesting thing. So I'm learning about that from Ray Garvin and yourself. I don't, I'm not a college guy. I don't play Devi, um, which I know Ray recently said was basically just insanity if you don't play uh, Devi at this point. But you know, what, what does Ray know apart from everything about Devi? Um, so 
I, I barely know teams and what divisions are good. Like, I just don't watch college football, so what would I know? But I do know how to process the numbers when they're finished. Now, one thing I would say is I have seen a recent shift in production as we move through from 2003 to 2018. Over the last few draft classes, production's looked a little funky, and I know these rules have started to initiate, and there's been some changes already. So the one thing I would say is, like with everything, we need sample. We need, we need examples of things playing out. So it's yes. probably going to take another year or two before I can really say exactly how it adjusts everything. But for right now, I would say don't mistake slight spikes with a with a long running trend like it, it could bounce out and but like you were saying about peak to average it's not like you just want to pay attention to one number so i want to know the full story and that's hopefully going to get me over it like there are some things like i've already incorporated into my process which hopefully will help with that you mentioned ayuk i don't like ayuk relative to some players he's going around but what i do know is i have two seasons where he played more than eight games one he was terrible and the other one he was fantastic which basically tells me I don't know. I needed to see more from him. So I'm not willing to tank him and say he's bad. I don't know. Um, like DK Metcalf last year, I could see his one year. It was fantastic. It was good enough over most of the metrics. I understood that he was a sized. Um, Jake Anderson, who used to be a co-host of my podcast before I ran him out of fantasy altogether because I'm so nerdy. And he loved the guy. So I was like, okay, it's showing up on the field. He was good in this one year. I don't know enough to tank him, but I can trust this one year combined with everything that people are watching and are good at film analysis tell me. So you you can't just take one thing. You have to composite it all together in your head to form your own opinion. That's, that's my big thing. Like, I don't want to tell anyone how they should draft or who they should like, because if it goes wrong, like, honestly, you only really have me to be angry at. But, like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't get it 100% perfect. You combined with me, and hopefully we can do even better. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'll share what I know, and then hopefully you can dump more of your own knowledge or your own intuition, what you're good at, on top of it, and just maybe beat your own average a little bit even. So that's what I'd say about these new changes to come. One, I'm going to need more examples of it happening to really know if it's a, what it's affecting and how much. Yeah. And, the other and thing is, I don't believe that most of these numbers are like from the ether. You get a certain amount of production and you're good. Like college, playing football at a, at a higher level, like you mentioned a player transferring in at 20 and then taking part of his offense. Like that was Kenny Galladay. And as far as I know, I was the earliest, if not one of the earliest guys on Kenny Galladay and got laughed at a lot, which I really enjoyed because there's nothing more fun in fantasy than a good argument and standing on a hill. So that's not a complaint. <laughs> but um. Like, I could see him being really good in this situation, but oh, competition level. But then he transferred, redshirted, and came onto that team and broke out again before the age of 20, which is what really saved me. So um, I can respect that. I can see the story, but I can still see him being productive at different levels young. So the, the crux of it is, you're not just good so you produce on a college field. You get better in college. You play against high levels of competition. You get more athletic. You learn a playbook no matter how simplified you can to the NFL, you learn what that side of the game is like more and more. So that feeds into where I think you want to go, which is where I'm kind of going there, because there's about seven other things I can think about I want to talk to you with. <laughs> but where we're going is a shorten or a bridge season. That's what worries me about that, because I don't think just playing in your last year, if you're good, you'll get certain numbers. I think they learn. I think they go up against the cornerback ones from the other teams for the first time, and they learn all about that, and they learn what it's like to be a veteran on a team and the experience and just the practice of a live game. Like I think they get value out of that. And can they pick it up and develop that stuff later? Sure. 
But I do worry about how that affects our ability to identify who's got some sort of ability compared to others. Like I was saying about the abridged seasons, I need more samples. I need to see another year from these guys so they can have a firmer opinion. Brandon Ayuk, I have two. It's not really enough for me to make a call. Um, and so that's the part that worries me about a potential abridged season, assuming that's where you're going next. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's that's really my concern. I think it's just we have to look at whatever we have. And, and for a lot of these guys, we're not going to have a, a full career because this this season is going to look funky. And it, in, let's say it gets interrupted after four games. Like, how are we going to go off of four games and equate that and call that a peak season or, or call that their best season or uh, – like, how do we even win right. that? So I think for a lot of these guys, if they go ahead and declare anyway, because there are several different players that have been good enough that they'll probably declare early next year. There's really eight or nine guys at wide receiver alone. Rashad Bateman looks pretty good. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jamar Chase would already be a first round pick today. You know, there's but there's a bunch of guys who need one more year. Like Seth Williams, this year was in line to see an explosion uh, with Chad Morris at the helm, who used to be Cortland Sutton's offensive coordinator when he was at SMU. Um, loves to funnel the targets to the alpha that looks like Brandon Marshall, and then goes to, towards his secondary wide receiver and really funnels the entire offense through two players. So if we saw one season, one more season like that with Seth Williams, that would fill out his profile and I'd have zero questions on the player. But if it doesn't happen, what do we do with those kind of players if they're just missing that absolute explosion season? He's he's hit the th- like minimum thresholds we want to see with his dominator rating, but he, he's missed some other things. So next spring, we're going to have a lot of conversations uh, when it nears the NFL draft, when we're talking about running backs, when we're talking about wide receivers, even tight ends and, and their production we're just going to have to uh, kind of, I don't know, put an asterisk by this year and perhaps next year's NFL draft and see what we find out. And then again, like you said, you need more years. You need more data. You need a larger sample of these uh, transfer backs, of these uh, new rules right. in college football and changing things and what production means and when players produce. We need more data there. So I think in the next, what I, what my biggest takeaway is with college football uh, in the pandemic happening right now and all of these new transfer rules coming in and transfer portal affecting production and, and uh, hit rates in the NFL is that we're going to see a shift probably in the next three to four years and uh, how we define the meaning of, uh, of several different production metrics. And hopefully we'll get better at this and uh, have a few more ways to look at things uh, in the meantime. Uh, but right now, it, it definitely looks confusing <laughs> in the near future for those of us that, that do find value in the numbers outside yeah. of just draft capital. I just say, like, my golden rule is I try not to believe anything. I accept it, but I try not to believe anything or incorporate it into my decision-making unless I know it's true. Because too many things sound like they should be true and just aren't when you put them in practice. Because there's another story that makes just as much sense, which is actually the true story. And until you can test it, like, or until you can see it, in some way it's like it makes sense that being you know six foot six and an athletic freak and have played football since you're eight years old gives you an advantage going into the nfl until you see jarvis landry kicking like crap out a bunch of those guys on an nfl field like it makes sense but it's not true there's another thing that another story that makes more sense so like i get i'm rashad bateman i've had my eye on him for a while because i was looking at tyler johnson but he in himself is a proof in the pudding. Like an extra year, and Tyler Johnson goes from a guaranteed first-round pick 
to he's drafted in what the sixth, seventh, and no one wants him anymore. Yeah, a year makes a whole bunch of difference. A year means you don't know DK Metcalf's name to everyone's kind of considering him in the first round, and then he went to the Seahawks really early. Like that's the year we learn about. That's one year, and we learn about DK Metcalf. So, like, I can just pull a few examples because it's not something we particularly track. So, this is not to be you know, opportunistic in the middle of a pandemic, but it's probably a conversation we should have been having a little bit more. Even myself, who's tried to talk about it, like, I'm not sure how much we know by two years. I'm not sure how much we know without that last year. I'm not sure, like you were saying, you can predict first and second draft day picks. That sounds very promising. But all my head keeps coming up with is these single examples every year of players we wouldn't know of or we would have loved with one less season. And that plays havoc with the way your draft goes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but that's and that's what I'm trying to play around with, because if Clyde Edwards Hilaire, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, there's always in fact, really running backs even more so than uh, wide receivers. We see that happen at least once. Yeah. There's there's one, maybe two guys that absolutely come out of nowhere. Like a year ago, Antonio Gibson, Memphis. Like right, right. nobody would have talked about him, even sniffing the conversation. Uh, I mean, even now he had like 77 touches from scrimmage. It's hard to weight those kind of players, and there's always exceptions. But where I think the the numbers folk like me and like you can possibly try to improve is predicting capital before it happens, finding different things that uh, allow or well, that help us do that. And I'm digging further right. and further into that. Back to college football recruiting, but you mentioned Dakalem Metcalf, and that's why I think. Recruiting is important. Uh, we would have known who Dakela Metcalf and AJ Brown were when they were 17 years old if we were following college football <laughs> recruiting. So it's like, I mean, I, I remember drafting AJ Brown when he was a true freshman because I, I liked his high school film and I liked his his recruiting rating and I liked the opportunity that was at hand with Ole Miss. He and DK Metcalf, and it was funny that they both hit because that's really rare. <laughs> for them to both hit right. but we're just the, the whole point is we're learning uh, and we want to kind of tackle these these metrics together but if you're listening and, and you weren't familiar with all these numbers and maybe you were just curious uh, I hope this helped uh, just to kind of uh, give you an edge in your fantasy leagues or perhaps uh, make you sound like you know what you're talking about in, in the bar with some friends uh, when you're talking about your favorite NFL players or some incoming rookies uh, but uh, Peter, I really appreciate you coming on just to talk about all this uh, nerdy goodness. Uh, it's been a blast. And, and really, you mentioned where people could find your uh, data and, and all the all the work you put into generating these numbers and testing some things. Uh, could you tell the listeners where they could find you and your work mostly? Yeah, sorry about that. I don't really plug well, but that's <laughs> it's not a plug, guys. Like I'm honestly asking you to look let me know what you see because the more eyes on it the better essentially i couldn't find market share anywhere like apart from player profile i had to go page to page for every player to get it so i just it's a simple calculation it's just a lot of grunt work to get it so i just started tracking it and i've gone back to 2003 all the way to the most recent class and i have some of the devy prospects in there but i need their dates of birth to do it by age so i don't have all of them pinned to my twitter timeline it's also pinned to my patreon timeline it's free in both places it's just a google sheet 
that you can download and you can see what I got. And you can find all of my work on DLF, DynastyLeagueFootball.com, and I have a podcast, Dynasty Crossroads. Awesome. And thanks again, Travis. It's always fun to talk to you. Sorry, your professional format with ads and set times to talk, it just doesn't work with me. I'm not a professional at this, dude. <laughs> hey, no worries <laughs> I, all, I run man. over. That's what I do. <laughs> hey, it's, it's good. I love to just uh, pick your brain about this stuff and, and dig into it deeper. We've, we've had uh, some very uh, so wide variety of guests uh, on so far and really had some film-based analysts and now some numbers-based analysts and really going to dive into some more college football and, and NFL preseason goodness here here soon. Hopefully, we'll, we'll have a season to talk about. But uh, listeners, thanks again for tuning in. I, I continue to be blown away by uh, the feedback and the listenership and just everything. You guys are awesome, uh, making this uh, really fun for me. Uh, but I look forward to you joining me soon for many more episodes of the College to Canton podcast. So I get asked this all the time, but people want to know how they can save on a Rotoviz subscription. Rotoviz radio listeners can receive 10% off on a one-year Rotoviz subscription simply by applying the discount code 2020RVRADIO at checkout. That's the numbers 2020, the letters R, the letters V, radio at checkout. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to talking sports with you again soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.